The views and opinions expressed by the guests on this podcast are that of their own. In no way, shape, or form do they reflect the official policy or position of the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. You've descended into the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack, a commercial diving podcast by working divers for divers. This episode is brought to you by Joint Zone Equipment. They offer hydraulic power packs, underwater hydraulic tools, and their revolutionary underwater lift bags. Their underwater lift bags have raised the manufacturing standards across the industry. No glue is used in the manufacturing process, and all the seams and attachment points are radio frequency welded using a material that provides a higher puncture resistance in a lighter weight. So make your next joint zone purchase from one of the stocking distributors such as Rental Tools Online or Amron International. JointZoneEquipment.com. Leading from below. All right. Well, this is the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. Thanks for coming on the show, Dave. Uh, uh, it's uh, 5 o'clock where you're at. So in your honor, I'm having a uh, IPA, even though it's 9, uh, 9 a.m. over here in the States. That's more respectable, right, to drink at 5. So we're jumping on with your time zone as well. That's what I'm getting at. Sounds good. All right. So, Dave, uh, you're you're all the way from uh, Scotland, is that correct? No, not quite. Yorkshire in uh, in England. Man, I'm always getting my facts yeah. wrong. Yeah, it is. How did I mess that up yeah, so badly? Well, most, most Americans think anywhere north of London, Scotland, don't they? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> So there you go, Johnny. Yorkshire. Already starting this one on the, you know, right foot. You know, I'm normally sticking <laughs> my foot say? in my mouth. What did you do? I, I, I said that he was, uh, I asked if he was from Scotland, but he's from Yorkshire. Yeah, that's not Scotland. Yeah. Well. No, it's not yeah. Scotland. Yeah, no. It's not. So, it's much better than that. Yeah. Freddie, well. I'd like to start all over again. <laughs> no no this is good really show that public education you know yeah well, they've already got a low opinion of our education over here don't they uh, i'm not so sure well <laughs> i wouldn't blame them speaking yeah. about education that's what i loved about your book uh you're here to talk a little bit about your book it's called uh taking the tide where it serves did i get that one right you did, yes. All right, perfect. And uh, Dave Adamson is the author. And um, so this kind of chronicles your uh, diving career. And I really enjoyed the book. It was really great. It's also an audio book as well, which is narrated by yourself. Uh, how did you find the time to take that under, you know, to take that task on? Uh, COVID. There you go. Basically. <laughs> this, this is a COVID episode as well. COVID. Yeah. I'm still sniffling. Yeah. yeah. No, but uh, yeah, that's that 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 was it. They locked us down pretty hard in UK, so you got to do something. So uh, somebody suggested I write a book, which is uh, a bit amazing because uh, I can barely write a sentence. But anyway, it came out okay, I think. It came out great. And you're very candid in the beginning of your book, too. Um, when I brought up education, you start 
off your book with yourself in a in elementary or grade school, you know, in the early years of your education. And uh, I, I thought that was really cool. My wife really enjoyed it too. We listened to a lot of it on the uh, on the road, you know, while we were doing a, a weekend trip, and she thoroughly enjoyed it as well. So um, she's not a diver, but she loved how you were able to kind of bring that time of your life alive, you know, with, with your words, which is what, as an author, you're trying to do. So, you know, if you say this is, you know, your first book, then sure, sure could have fooled me, you know. First and last, probably. And we'll see, maybe, maybe you'll have a part two where you come back, you know, put your dive hat back on because <laughs> you're trying to fight a Kraken. Just kidding. Uh, boy, that was lame, wasn't it, Johnny? <clears throat> mm-hmm. It was really lame. Yeah. Well, but fun. That was fun. You know, it is 9 a.m. over here. I'm still waking up. So, well, cheers. Thanks for coming on, Dave. The and, day uh, is almost over at 9 a.m., dude. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I've been up since 4 in the morning. <laughs> really? It was as warm, and uh, I looked it. I looked it up. I'm sorry about that. That's bloody emails coming up. I'll close that down. Um, yeah, I looked up the weather in uh, in Long Beach, and it was as warm at four in the morning in there as it is now. So in UK, so yeah, yeah, it's it's nice here sometimes. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about, about uh, kind of diving in the early days? I, I know a lot of this is covered in your book, but I wanted to uh, try to whet our listeners' appetites. So if they haven't uh, gone out and uh, heard anything about it, they can kind of search. It's on Amazon, right? Yeah, it's on Amazon. It's uh, Yeah, it's on, what did I say? On all good books, stalls, and a few crap ones as well. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, I just told my life story, really. And uh, because I basically, you know, woke up at 70 years old and couldn't really believe what it had all happened, you know, that I started off, as you pointed out, as a, a pretty dumb kid, but not doing too well at school and finished up running a, you know, a construction vessel in... Brazil with 100 people on board building oil fields. So, you know, I thought, how the hell did that happen? So I started to write it down. Um, yeah, as, as you, as you say, I, I started, uh, left school, got a job in a factory, did some, uh, got an apprenticeship as a fitter machinist, you know, so pretty useful stuff as it turned out for being a diver you know at the time it, you, know, you know you didn't think nothing of it i'm sure right no 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 i wasn't too impressed no 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 i didn't like that clocking on at eight in the morning and off again at five it wasn't uh it wasn't really much of a life but a lot of people do it for the whole all of their life so yeah and uh so I started doing some scuba diving, as as you know, and uh, for sport. And uh, it, it, the North Sea around our coast is uh, is absolutely littered with shipwrecks from the two world wars, you know. So um, I we I got with a few guys and we started going out on these wrecks and realised all this uh, non-ferrous metal and everything could be uh, exchanged for beer coupons. 
So uh, we started to do that for a bit of fun at weekends and then uh, three of us decided to quit our jobs and uh, and go out and try and make some money out of salvage. That's funny. So you were just kind of scavenging the bottom for uh, wrecks, huh? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like those guys in my neighborhood that go into my trash bin to uh, get all the recyclables out. But underwater. That's about it. Yeah, Yeah. much cooler, though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no. Did you find any any relics down there, like, besides the actual ship? Besides uh, the ship you're salvaging? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we got some cargoes, some, you know, we 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 had some uh, copper ingots and oh, wow. blew some propellers off. And did and, you keep uh, any of it? That's what I'm really asking. Oh, uh, yeah, no, it's all gone. <laughs> it's like, I, I I, oh, I've got a, I've got a brass shell case standing on my fireplace that I put the poker in. That's okay. about it. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, oh, I had all that stuff. Um, we had. You know, bells and steering binnacles and and uh, portals and everything, and they all got converted into cash. You know, when beautiful, yeah, yeah. We used to we used to store it up and say, "Oh, we'll sell it as antiques," and then and then the weather had blow up for two weeks, and we hadn't any wages, so we sell it. That's uh, yeah. I mean, that's hand to mouth. That's what happens, you know. Yeah. Sometimes the business, you know, it's it's fickle, so. <laughs> how how many times have you seen when it got slow guys are selling their hats you know it's like oh my gosh dude you're selling your money maker right there what are you doing you know but no it happens you know <laughs> it gets slow and they'll sell their fins you know tanks and you know i'm taking a break from the business and then trying to get back in that's rough you know but uh yeah it's definitely hand to mouth just like you said dave uh not much has changed you know since when you were diving you know and you were diving in the early days which is pretty cool the uh north sea and oil field right yeah, that's right. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you remember the bit. I, I nearly killed myself scuba diving. I yeah, uh, I was pretty lucky there. I uh, I got stuck in a shipwreck and uh, and came up unconscious. So, uh, oh, yeah, it was. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit yeah, about so, that? Uh, I I know yeah, it's covered I'm in sure, the book. Uh, he was unconscious. He doesn't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I remember. <laughs> remember like it was yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we. Uh, I mean, we were using. I mean, we were using scuba gear and uh, basic scuba gear, no, nothing like they're using nowadays. You know, just a, a handmade uh, six mil wetsuit and uh, you know, basically a set of scuba tanks and uh, and, a, and, a, and a demand valve. And uh, the North Seas, uh, you know, it's not like uh, Gulf of Mexico. It's uh, it's pretty dark and dirty, so. You get down to a hundred feet in the North Sea, and it's dark. You need a torch, and uh, in the winter time, uh, visibility gets down to maybe two, three feet. And we decided one day that we, uh, a fisherman had lost his trawl net and uh, on a wreck, and we decided we'd go and recover it for him. And uh, like part way through that, I got stuck in the in the fishing net and. Uh, ran out of air and uh, I managed to do an escape but like unconscious so I, I, I pushed myself out of the net just just as the lights were going out and the next I floated up and my buddy 
pulled me out the water. And he, he said he'd give me CPR. What he did, he punched me in the chest and that started me breathing again. So <laughs> he's like, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So That's that was... Crazy. Uh, yeah, was that, that was that. a bot. That was a bottom trawler. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the um, because there's so many shipwrecks around our area, and there those days there was no GPS or anything. They were like uh, they had really basic navigation, so they would occasionally trawl those nets into into the into a wreck, and uh, it was valuable stuff. You know, their nets were a lot of a lot of investment so we would uh we would go down and uh, and pull them out the wreck uh, put a wire on and pull them out and they'd give us like quarter of the value so it was it was good salvage but uh we generally were working we were working on air uh and uh usually around about 100 feet 120 feet but this day we decided to go for one in 180 feet in the middle of winter in uh you know nil visibility and everything and uh we we actually actually shackled onto the net for recovery and then i i got my torch stuck in the in the wreck and uh mm. i i took i remember i took it i took the lanyard off my wrist to clear it and lost it and I was probably knacked up at 180 feet on air, you know, in the middle of winter. So I was, I wasn't probably thinking yeah. too well. You were feeling good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, that makes more sense now because yeah. when you said that you got caught in a trawling net, I was like, "Oh shit!" Oh, you're thinking like, it trawler came along and trawled actually, me up? Yeah, <laughs> yeah trawled you up. I'm like. You, overfishing is really bad with trawling right everyone knows <laughs> yeah. that as they just yeah. throw whatever they didn't want to catch overboard I, the fisherman that caught you would be like oh shit we caught a dude <laughs> throw yeah. this guy back. awesome over <laughs> no, <laughs> throw, throw back okay but yeah <laughs> but, uh, but I, then I, I, I had to do a free ascent from 180 feet with oh, no man. air and uh, and and halfway up I, got, I found some net and got stuck in it so uh at that time, at that time, I was like, you know, when you get that CO2 thing, when you, when you like see too much CO2 and you just start heaving, your chest starts heaving. And then I got that and I was like trying to push my way out, but there was no, there was no, uh, I had nothing to breathe. I was just like holding my breath forever. And you know, uh, after a time that, that just stops. All that heaving of the chest and everything, it just stops. And something in your head says, I don't know what you're worrying about. You don't need to breathe. This is fine. Just chill. And, wow. uh, yeah. And it, I, I, I've talked to people about this because they say, like, this is the near death experience when you get this euphoria of feeling right. really good and, and everything. And if you're, of a religious persuasion, which I'm not, you probably think that you're, uh, you know, you're entering the gates of heaven, like. But uh, yeah, that's the last thing I remember till I saw the sky again. Wow! So that was that was scuba diving. I was, uh, the, so uh, I did a bit more, but basically, I, I moved on to uh, to the oil fields. 
which was, uh, you know, I've watched a few of your podcasts and, uh, you know, about the guys all going to school and everything. And in 1974, I can tell you there was, uh, there was a couple of kinds of divers. There was the, uh, the ex Navy, you know, clearance divers from the British Navy and, you know, US Navy SEALs and people like that. Uh, you had CDC and, uh, and Santa Barbara had started schools then. And mm-hmm. then you had people like me that shouldn't have been there really. That just, yeah. well, it's not <laughs> they needed a lot there. of divers. You know, it's just, that's how it <laughs> was back then. You know, you had, had a few yeah. schools, you know, for people to get a leg up. But, uh, at that time it was still the diver had his gear. So are you a diver? Yep. I got my gear. You got a tender? Yep. I got my tender right here. It was just a diver. Diver would take his tender along and they would do jobs. There's almost like a little mini company, you know, and then they would teach the tender or they would teach, you know, whoever was around them how to do it. And that's kind of just how it was. They would learn on the job, just like yourself, Dave. And, uh, you were already working commercially and didn't even know it, you know, given you were, you know, on scuba, but that's all you had at the time. You know, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, we didn't. The North Sea didn't operate quite the same as the Gulf. We didn't have this like uh, system that you have with a take all your own gear and have a tender and that. We 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 just basically signed up to the company. They supplied the gear, but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, but most of it. I mean, I started with uh, uh, Jerry McDermott badges, so you know, I got this. I got this education. Uh, I mean, I was like 23 years old, really, really didn't know nothing about the world. You know, I was really uh, naive. And uh, suddenly I was on a Derek badge with a bunch of Kunasses, so you can imagine that. That was a shock to the system. <laughs> That's great. Tell us a little bit about yeah. that. That was like your first uh, experience with a, with a... Yeah, your first time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember... I went, I, I went to get a supply boat from Great Yarmouth, um, which is down in, in Norfolk and, was, and we were going out to the Ecofist field. And I was like, I didn't know nobody. I was on my own. I, you know, signed in. I'm the diver going to the DB 15. Yeah. Okay. Right. You're going with those guys. And there was a bunch of, uh, bunch of, uh, good old boys from Baton Rouge and places like that that had been, uh, been ashore for their five days off drinking in Great Yarmouth, you know, so. And uh, they got this fresh young boy from from England in there with them, and they gave me shit, I'll tell you. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was interesting. Yeah. I thought, what on earth's happening here? It's called, I just kind of wanted yeah. to get some stories about your interactions with, uh, with a lot of the, uh, the good old boys from uh, Louisiana. You know, that was a, a time also where it was predominantly Americans in the uh, North Sea area over there. And uh, they had their own little communities in England and stuff, which was pretty cool from what I read about. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like lifestyle, you know, working with them and then, you know, living with them and all that. Yeah, I mean, the, to be honest, the guys on the badges, most of them, they did like a year's contract and they would do... 25 and 5 local leave uh, so so they do 25 days on the barge 5 days local leave weather uh, um, for a year 
And quite a few of them didn't even take that five days. So they would do like a year straight. Um, and they, and, and they would be really surprised when they went back to Louisiana and found that the missus had moved out or something and, uh, or, or she had another boyfriend or, you know, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was different. And I was like, yeah. It was, and, and of course in those days, it, it was dry. It was dry in the North Sea. Um, but that was only if you didn't take any drinks. So, um, yeah, there's the, the guys would sit in the cabins and drink the illicit bottles in there and, uh, tell stories about Louisiana and everything, which, was you know illuminating and 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 really fascinating to me you know it's, uh, it's, oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a beautiful it's place world. it is yeah well I've, I've visited the states quite a lot since so uh, the, the, these places came to life you know but uh yeah but but i mean it worked out okay they were good guys i mean they were very good at their jobs you know they just because they couldn't read and write didn't mean they couldn't rig yeah. <laughs> well, they can read and write. Have you read oh, what's in porta potties? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on, yeah, come, yeah. come on, survive all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, uh, yeah, a lot of them spoke that Cajun French, so it was like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what on earth's going on here? You know. That's great. Yeah, and and you do chronicle a lot of this in in your book and uh I'm just trying to get to some of the stories that are not in the book. Is there anything uh anything you can tell us that's uh that's kind of not in the book that didn't make the cut? Like how do you decide what makes the cut and what doesn't? I just I I I, I didn't do it in a like a chronological thing. I just the, the stories that came into my head, I wrote them down. And then when I got lots of stories, I started moving them into the right place, you know. So, um, so I don't know how you decide. I, I, I wanted like a, uh, you know, hundred thousand words, and I finished up with hundred and twenty thousand, I think. And uh, there was a lot more to go, but I think people get bored with it. I think I, I thought I'd done enough, you know. But uh, yeah, stuff. I, oh. I can't off the top of my head. I mean, there's lots of stories, but I can't just pluck one out of the air. Sorry. That's okay. As what, we what progress. What you're really saying is that there is, there is another book in there, is what he's really <laughs> That's saying. What he's saying. There probably is. There is a book. There is yeah. a book in there. What I so, really, uh, I mean, I'm sure you, you guys are divers, so, you know, what I really liked about diving was the divers, you know, was the people. The characters, you know, so, uh, cause they're a pretty special bunch, aren't they? I mean, you know, I, Amanda did, I, I, I talked about one guy there in there, Peter Bruckel. I don't know whether you remember that, the South African guy. He was just so like, when, when I first spoke to him in SAT and I, we were talking about how we got into diving and he said, he said, "Oh man," he said, "I was, I was a car salesman." He said, "I, I was, I was a mechanic, and then I started selling cars in Cape Town." And he said, "One day I just went, I'm sick of this shit." And he, he sort of, he walked out out the garage, said, oh, "I'm taking the rest of the day off," and he said, "I went down to the beach, lay on the beach all day thinking about it, 
took my suit off, threw it in the bin and didn't go back. And he said, I went off traveling around South Africa and I found this little company doing some civil engineering diving work and and uh, they were looking for a mechanic. So he said, I got a job there. And then they said, and then I said, oh, that looks fun. Can I have a go? And he, and of course, the next thing is out in the North Sea in saturation a few years later, you know. And everybody had a story like that, it seemed, in those days. There wasn't many people went to school and said, oh, I'm going to leave school and be a diver, was there? It was like... uh... Such an amazing story, and you're right. You know, back then, everybody did have a story like that. You know, it started off with just your love for the ocean. And, uh, you know, that's that's one of the things that we kind of touched on in our show before, you know, how this generation's kind of being led astray. A little bit. I'm, I'm going to call it for what it is. The generation is being led astray. Um, they're being led astray by uh, dreams of, you know, making all these riches, commercial diving. So you have people that don't have a love for the ocean or an affinity for the ocean or, you know, can't even swim that are trying to be commercial divers. All because of, you know, this, this uh, chance of a high payday. For you, Dave, that wasn't the primary motivation for getting into the diving business, was it? Nor was it for a lot of no, older divers. I never even thought about it, to be quite honest. Uh, I mean, uh, I talk about going into SAT the first time. I mean, I, I, I'd not even consider saturation diving. I just happened to finish up on a barge that had a SAT system, but I was air diving and, uh, and, and, and then, uh, I was obviously doing very well. You know, I was actually performing really well. Because in those days, you either performed or you went home, didn't you? It was like, there wasn't no, uh, you didn't get counselled if you didn't do a very good job. You just got a, a supply boat. So, <laughs> and, uh, and then one day the, the superintendent said, Oh, get your gear going in SAT. I was like, oh, okay. And then, I, then I saw the paycheck. I thought, well, this is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'll get in there. Fine. Yeah. What? Yeah, I was only I was only going to do that commercial diving for like a year or two, you know. So, yeah. Oh wow, let's do it for a year, and then it turns into a your lifelong career. A lifetime, yeah, that's right, yeah. And you're writing books about it. So you, you were in the, yeah. So you were in the North Shore, and the, uh, that's seventies, right? You were in the seventies. Yeah, it was nineteen seventy four. Started. Were you around when the? Uh, What's it called? The uh, Wild Drake accident yeah. happened. Yeah, uh, I uh, I just read Michael Smart's book recently, which is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And what shocked me more than anything was, I like knew all those guys, and I'd worked with, I'd worked with those guys, and some of the guys oh, that yeah. were very responsible for the for the fact that those buggers never came home, you know. And uh, I was totally unaware of it, you know. I was, I didn't, I didn't even know these people had been on that job or had had a a part in in everything that went wrong. So it was, uh, it was quite shocking, really, because I thought they were yeah. all really good guys, you know. That they all knew what they were doing. I looked up to some of them, and uh, and you went, oh dear. There, but for uh, the grace of God, eh? It's, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a. Uh, it, it, I mean, the only thing, the, the the thing that that we were all, it's it's crazy, isn't it? But you you 
you just think about the fact that they uh, they got stiffed over by the courts because uh, right. they said that they were employed by the, by the bankers else. in the Isle of Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah. It's been messed up. So we were all looking at because we, you know, we were all getting paid that way. You know, at that time, as uh, in the early days, you, you know, you were getting your money going out to uh, from various foreign banks. Yeah, so. And uh, so it could have happened to any of us, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, that didn't make you. That, did that make you feel uneasy at all? Like, no, you, or was it just? You know, we're all you, 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 you guys, and you're like so confident in your own abilities, and you just feel that you, yeah, it's not going to happen to you because you're a bit better than that. You're probably yeah. not, but you feel that at the time. Yeah. So. And, and bit by bit, they learned from the these mistakes, didn't they? Or not not very quickly though, because I I dived both those ships. I I was on the Stark and Opus. I did I, I did sat on the Stark and Opus, and and the Wildrake, you know, and they both had double fatalities from more or less the same the same incidents, and. All the all the lessons that should have been learned from the Stark and Opus were repeated on a Wildrake, like a year later. Mm-hmm. It's appalling. Uh, yeah, yeah. You see, I, I suppose it's a bit like you know. I mean, it's not. Don't be melodramatic, but people that people that went out, you know, I worked with all these vets and that that went to Vietnam, and none of them thought they weren't coming back. They thought some of their mates might not come back, but they all thought they would. Right? So it's kind of the mentality there too, that oh, it's not gonna, it's not gonna happen to me, you know. Even though it happened twice yeah. in the past couple of years, you know, it's uh, that's just so weird how yeah. this industry, like stuff like that, kind of happens sometimes. Like right now, we were going through a string of a uh, of Delta P uh, deaths and incidents, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. you'd think we would have learned after the first one, but no, that kept happening. We had, like, I think, five more after that and in the past uh, however many years. And here we have these two uh, saturation diving uh, incidents, you know, and, or, or bell incidents. And, you know, you'd think they would have learned quickly to prevent the wild drink thing. But no, you're right. Just, you know, uh, they learn from it, yeah, but I learn mean, very slowly. This trade learns very slowly. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> As I said in the book, Proactive, uh, reactive rather than proactive, eh? Right. It's, uh, you know, they wait for something to go wrong and then try and fix it uh, rather than thinking about what could go wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, when I was diving on the Stark and Opus, it was like not that long after it, the, the incident. Um, I, I went to do a bell run and, uh, I was the bellman at first, you know, and I went in to do the bell checks and uh, the bell was freezing. I was like, I said to the guys going out, I said, is the heater not working? No, it's broke down. I said, so what are they going to do about it? They said, oh, well, we can't, you know, we can't, we can't surface the bell to fix the heater. We'll have to just go with it. And the guy was shaking with cold, you know. And I went back down into the chamber 
I said, I need to speak to the superintendent. And the other divers are going, like, you can't. They'll, they'll just run you off, you know. It's just... And, uh, and my, my bellman, I remember, is a young guy from Bakersfield, California. Uh, and he was only, like, on his first sat. He was my bell partner. Uh, and uh, he said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to tell them we're not going on this bell run until they fix the heater, you know? Uh, and and the other guys are all saying, no, you can't do that. And and he said, well, if, if you think that's right, I'm with you, you know? So I was good. Superintendent come down, said, what's the problem? And I said, you know, we need a bell heater in there. The last guy's in bed shaking with hypothermia. And, and he said, Oh, he said, oh, we can't have that. He said, uh, yeah, we'll surface the bell and sort it. I was like, so the other divers had actually made the, the decision based on what they thought he was going to do, you know? So actually, the superintendent was a decent guy, and and if he was presented with the issue, he he did it, you know? So Yeah. And you had that mindset of you'd rather be run off than carried off. Absolutely, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I had learned a little bit of, by then about what can go wrong. Yeah, so yeah, and and what was going to cost you just saying something? You know, uh, it's not like you said, "Hey, I'm not diving anymore for you. If this isn't done, you better do this now." Your approach was no, no. different than that, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's like, yeah. yeah, no. I mean, I finished up working for that superintendent for a few years after that. I was like, uh, and I started, uh, he promoted me to supervisor the first time. So I was like, you know, and uh, so I like to think when I was in that position in charge, I, I, I tried to, tried to be a bit more reasonable, you know. I mean, I mean it was still really pressure, wasn't it? I mean, I, even, even up to the end of the the century, you know, even up to two thousand, and there was still this "we've got to get the job done" mentality, you know. So right by any means necessary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the safety improved, but you still. I mean, the worst thing I don't know what you think, but um, uh, fixed price jobs—they were the worst. You know, because where uh, you know, day rate, you know, fair enough. Uh, people tend to cruise a bit on that, but once you go on to a fixed price, and the companies and your company's pushing you because the client's not going to pay them if they don't get finished, then it, you know, it's a total one-way thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, we got to. We've got to cut whatever corners we need to bring the job in on time, you know. So I'm sure that, sure the, uh, quite a few of these incidents were more produced by that than anything else, you know. As I say, the Wildrake, the Wildrake, well, I say Michael covers it so well, but, but the pressure there, both to get the job done and not to ask, ask for help from another company was uh, really bad yeah 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 the other the other inside i did I, i'm sorry i'm covering stuff that's in the book but uh my good buddy 
Terry Dennison was in the on the uh, Lear Barge 29 that sank in the South China Sea. You remember that incident? And uh, when it, I mean, the chamber went to the seabed and uh, with with four right. of them inside. Yeah. But uh, I was told uh, I was told that uh, basically the typhoons had been going through that area one after the other, and they'd been lifting anchors and moving out and and the typhoons kept going somewhere else and the barge captain in the end said no we're not moving this town we're sick of this and uh and that one went straight for them you know so and i and i'm also told that this isn't in the book but i, I was told by another colleague that there was another ship in the uh in the persian gulf sank in the same way about uh, three years after that exactly the same situation but because all the divers were Indian it was barely even reported I think there was six divers went to the seabed there ship sank yeah. with a chamber with divers in it and say so they were Indian divers so they didn't uh, they didn't get the same publicity unfortunately no, it's kind of the media is kind of fickle on what they want to cover. It's about timing, you know, and I, I just uh, just kind of wonder how many stories like the one you just told happens, you know, per year that we don't hear that about. weren't reported. Yeah. 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 So. I've, I've, there's a little book. It's, it's, it's a very depressing little book and it's not that well written, but it's called Requiem for a Diver. And it, it chronicles all the uh, fatalities in the North Sea in uh, in the seventies. It's, uh, it's, it's I think there's something like sixty six. Uh, it's, it's a big percentage out of the number of divers that we had out there. Yeah, it's okay. quite a bit. So when when you were uh, diving in the North Sea. You also uh you also saw a rig explode, right? I forget which what was the name of that one. Rig explode. Oh yeah, the the Piper Alpha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was uh, I was on a drill rig. Uh, I was on a drill rig about twelve miles away. Um, it was a drill rig, but we were doing construction work from it. We had a sat system on it. And, uh, yeah, the Piper Alpha was, uh, that was the biggest disaster in oil field history, I think. Um, the, uh, Occidental's, uh, platform and, uh, and the Piper Alpha field. And, uh, yeah, we were just doing a normal dive. You know, the guys are on the bottom. I'm sitting there, you know, sitting on the panel chattering away to him, doing some stuff, you know, and then uh, I just heard the VHF go off uh, and the, uh, Channel 16 and the, and the guy's saying, uh, I can't get out, the flames are up to the helideck. And I was like, what's going on here? And uh, looked out the window and there it is, it's just like burning away, you know, a full jacket. And... Uh, yeah, I've got all the figures in there, but it's like 160 people died on that. It was dreadful. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. And the, uh, 
because it was is an inter it, because the field was connected to the Claymore field by uh, by a bunch of pipelines, and the gas went from Claymore to Piper and then to the export line, uh, and the Claymore kept pumping gas, so it just fed the fire, you know. So it turned it into a huge Bunsen burner, you know. That's that. The uh, funnily enough, the, the the people that did escape were mainly the divers. There was an air diving crew on there, and they were all working on a spider deck, and they were the the the, um, the drill was if there was if the alarms went off, you went to the muster station under the heli deck. But the divers, being divers, thought, you know, fuck that, and uh, jumped in the water and swam away. And uh, they got picked up by the standby boat. So I th I think there was only one diver that got killed, and he, he was up at there. He'd gone up to make a phone call in the uh, radio room. So it was, like, really bad timing. Jeez. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, stuff it, it did... Yeah. What it did do, Piper Alpha, it did more for safety than anything else that happened. It took, you know, it's a shame it took such a big thing. But, uh, you know, there was massive inquiries and uh, all kinds of new safety regulations came in after that. So it did improve safety, but at what cost? Uh, yeah, and it seems like something like that happens, you know, like every 20 years or so. I know... Uh, after that, we had, you know, we had our thing with the Deepwater Horizon. That was huge, you know, and that was a, mm -hmm. you know, similar. And it's a, yeah, it's just you, you go through these events in your career and then you see the changes afterwards. And then uh, you're like, huh, I wonder why we weren't doing that before. You know, it's, it just didn't cross your mind. It's like, you know, you've been doing, you know, things a certain way for so long. And then, uh, all of a sudden somebody dies and it makes you do stuff another way. And it's like, uh, well, at first you're like, oh man, this sucks. You know, I got to wear a bailout. What the heck, you know? And then, uh, later on down the road, it's like, you forget about it. It's like, man, why wasn't I doing this, you know, earlier before? So that's what we try to learn from these incidents is we try to make things better, even though we don't understand it at the time, you know, but, uh, yeah. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we keep learning, you know, from our, past incidents and uh, keep making the industry uh, just a little bit better for the next guy that comes after you, you know. Um, thank you for sharing sharing your uh, your stories about the uh, about the rig disaster and also uh, some of those diver, you know, tragedies as well. Um, later on in your career, you, uh, you got out of the water and you switched your roles, right? You went uh, yeah. from diver to desk jockey, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I I, I was actually uh, I started supervising quite early. Really, I I, I I did I did sat for like four years and then started supervising on a part time basis, but I never went back in the water for some hour. It just happened. I was like, and uh, su superintendent, and uh, I, I I enjoyed it. It was good. Uh, it was, it was good to put teams together, and and and, and as as you know, the 
a dive team's fun, isn't it? It's a bit like, it's a bit like sport, I think, you know, like having a really good football team or something, you know, like if you've got a good team on uh, and you're going out and doing good jobs, everybody, it, it, it's fun. I like it, you know, yeah. And, uh, as I say, we were doing lots of, and, and I got, uh, as you know, I, I, I sort of migrated uh, from the diving industry, you know, with the uh, diverless stuff, so I saw that as a uh, as a future, and uh, I enjoyed the technical side of that. You know, working with uh, ROVs and the stuff they could do it was very impressive, really. And uh, coming out to the Gulf of Mexico and working in three thousand feet of water was like amazing. Yeah, <laughs> What I really enjoyed about that was I remembered, you know, Americans coming to the North Sea to teach us how to extract oil in the seventies. And then, then suddenly we're going back to the Gulf of Mexico because we've got all the expertise in deep water, diverless stuff, which hadn't really happened at that time. You know, you were still, you're still working in relative shallow water. And then they found all that stuff in the Gulf in, you know, two, three thousand feet. And, and the Norwegians in particular developed a lot of skills that, 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 uh, the US needed then. That was, that was fun. Yeah. And I got to see where all the Kunasses lived down in Port Fouchon and interesting places like that. Visit New Orleans and yeah, that was good. Because we could never work in the Gulf as divers, as you know, you know, as a different regime, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what did you think of uh, some of the uh, Cajun delicacies? Did you ever try any, uh, yeah. any of the food, like the uh, squirrel or uh, <laughs> gator? <laughs> squirrel? <laughs> yeah. Come on. Squ no, I, I, I didn't try squirrel, no. <laughs> No, I, I, I had some alligator. Nutria. Yeah, that was all right. Yeah. The rat. <laughs> no, the rat. Yeah. No, the rat. I didn't. <laughs> no, I think I, I think most of my uh, mine was pretty. Uh, yeah, you knew all things, you know, gumbo and stuff. It was all right, but uh, no, I didn't get any real uh, real bush tucker, as they say. No, no, it's. Uh... But I mean, they they're fun guys. I mean, we had. We used to sneak off. Uh, we got a few runs ashore down there, down there in. Uh, I'm trying to think of the names of the places, but uh, Golden. Can't remember what it's called now. But uh, yeah, I know. You know, we went we went down there and found a bar and uh, and made friends with the locals and uh, yeah, we had, it's a fun time. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll uh, we went to the... next year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You still working down there? Still diving down there? No, we we work for the Port of Long Beach, so we're stuck here in a uh, beautiful sunny California. Uh, so yeah. we don't travel around, you know. But uh, we're Let's hoping to go out there for the trade show next year. Diving trade show. Was, uh... Come back and hopefully you can make it out. That'd be cool. Yeah, I've, uh, I've I've been out 
I've been out to California a couple of times. I've got a good buddy lives just up the road from you in uh, Rancho Palo Verde. Oh, yeah. That's literally oh, yeah. over the bridge. <laughs> Yeah, I think that he is, keeps his. Yeah. I think he keeps his sailboat in uh, in Long Beach somewhere. Well, give him a shout. Uh, Must be nice. Any, yeah. any friend he's of yours a, is a he's a, <laughs> right. He'd be an interesting guy, actually. He was my supervisor when I first started on the uh, Canopus, and uh, he's he, he's uh, he spent quite a few years down in uh, Antarctica diving. Oh wow! With the uh, yeah, he's. Uh, it's got if you if you ever drive around that area, you could find his house because his mailbox is uh, is a scale model of a nineteen seventies diving bell. Huh. Yeah, we know the area pretty now, well. Now, yeah, now when I drive over there all the time because I do drive, you'll over be looking all the time. Yeah, I'm gonna look for it. Yeah, I'm gonna knock on yeah. his door. Wow. Like, hey. Yeah. Dave said, "How are you?" <laughs> I don't know why I've got yeah. an Australian accent, but <laughs> yeah, what is that? <laughs> yeah. Well, that used to happen to me all the time in California, you know, because most Americans uh, think that all Brits speak like the BBC used to. So, because uh, mm-hmm. you do, when you go there with a the Yorkshire accent, they they figure you must be Australian or something. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> no, I'm just terrible with accents. Sorry, Dave. Johnny's got a better accent, right? I know. That's good. It's yeah. nice. Good. Now, you've got a good voice. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect for podcasts. Yeah. But this yeah. is a great, great, uh, great episode. I love talking talking to divers that write books because you know it's one of those things where it's like we're we're not a we are a pretentious bunch, but we're not. You know. So it's like, oh, yeah, I should write a book, you know, and it's like it never happens just because it's such an undertaking, you know, and no, I think it's I think it's great. Um, so any advice to any other uh, divers out there that might be thinking about writing that uh, just uh, can't get past the first couple paragraphs? Yeah, just, you know, everybody's got a story to tell and. Most divers got a really good story to tell, so you know, don't be don't be self conscious. Just write it down. You know, it's just and uh, that's what I did. I just I I started to write it down, and then I passed it to a few people. You know, just what do you think about this? And they're like, oh, that's really good. I mean, and then obviously they give you advice of it. The, the main thing I wanted to do was write a book that could be read by a non-diver, you know. So, uh, yeah, I wanted yeah. to, I wanted to tell the story of of diving and my life, you know, because it's not just diving and uh, all the great people that have been in my life, you know. And uh, it, it, it's. Uh, it's it's a good it's it's a good process to go through as late in life you know y'all we all think about our mortality as we get to these you know later in life not like you guys but you've got loads left but um and uh, it's good to look back you know and see what what you've achieved and what you've done and think about some of the people that you've you know you bumped along with 
So them that are no longer with us, you know, a lot of those, I'm afraid. So, yeah, yeah, they, they should write it. Yeah. I've, I've written, since I wrote mine, I hadn't written, read any, but since I wrote mine, I've read pretty much every diver's book I could get my hands on. And they're all different, you know. Most are quite modest, you know, undersell ourselves. I think I read one that, which was a bit ridiculous. He give it, he, he put himself over as some kind of James Bond character, but most don't do that, you know, most are, <laughs> <laughs> most are modest. <laughs> I'll tell you what. <laughs> Who was that? Tell me. Right uh, I can't say. <laughs> <laughs> he, he might listen to this. <laughs> no, I refuse to incriminate myself. I want to read that book. <laughs> so there I was, yeah. outrunning the Russian sub. So there I was. Just right. shooting the octopus with Straddling the lasers. Straddling the yeah. Russian sub. Nothing on I the had gauge. already ditched my helmet. Yeah. And was on a hold breath for 30 minutes. Yeah. Nothing on the gauge but CB Gorman, use no oil. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. the okay. cool thing no, about it, writing it's... a book is that you immortalize everybody that you've ever worked with and that you name in that book. And I think that's amazing. You know, you're telling your story, but it's not really for yourself about you fully. It's about the people that are around you as well. You know that that's what I wanted to bring out, uh, I, and and I think most of the people in there come out good. I, I think I think I slag off a couple, but you know, in a in a mild way. But mostly they were brilliant. You know, and, and actually, most of the stories about the people are not about their diving, but about their lives. You know, what crazy things they've done. You know, so yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it's a good process. I'd really recommend it. It's, uh, as, as, as my wife said as well, she said, it's a piece of social history because we lived through a time that will never happen again. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we went out there, you know, to, because basically because our governments needed needed oil and they suddenly found it in the North Sea and they didn't really have the wherewithal to get it out. So they made it up as they went along, didn't they? And crazy guys like like us went in and, and did that job. And it's now turned into, I think, I don't know, I don't have much experience with modern diving now because I've, I've slipped out of it, but I think it's more of a profession. I think it's more... It is more regulated and as it should be. Right. And that's kind of what we were touching on earlier. It's become less adventure, you know, and uh, we're we're definitely trying to bring back some of the uh, love for the business, love for the ocean and water as well, you know, as telling stories like your, you know, stories from yourself and, and from a lot of the other, uh, the old, the uh, older divers that, uh, that dove in the earlier days that uh, did have that fire and that passion, that desire, you know, because to tell you the truth, I, mm-hmm. I, I think it also makes you safer too. You know, that's the only reason why a lot of you guys, you know, got out alive is because you loved what you did, you know, and uh, you were hyper aware and cautious. I, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, you know, um, you made it out all right without half the regulations we've got now. 
Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, you're not wrong. But, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, you know, I don't know where people now look at. I, I've read some Facebook groups and stuff where there's people saying, oh, uh, you know, I fancy being... Uh, I fancy being a deep sea diver. I fancy being a saturation diver. How do I do it? You know, I hear they make really good money. You know, so I think, well, it's really uh, it doesn't sound the right way to be going about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure how easy it is to be a, a saturation diver now from scratch. There's certainly not that much of it happening in the North Sea anymore. Um, and. Uh, it was always difficult for new guys to start, even, you know, in my time, you know. In the early days, we were so short of divers, we all got in there. But then as it as it progressed and matured the industry, then the experienced guys just hogged all the work anyway. So it wasn't very easy for somebody to come out of school and get a jo job, you know. They'd finish up in Abu Dhabi or somewhere. Then. So... Uh, I think you had to have some family connection or something to get into saturation in the North Sea in the latter years. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's, that's the funniest thing too from talking to, to divers, you know, uh, from different time periods is, uh, it's kind of a lot of the way you break out or get jobs is kind of the same. You know, a lot of times, uh, if it's super, if it's a busy time in the industry, you're going to be working. So make the best of it because that's where you're going to make the name for yourself. When it's slow, um, it's hard to make a name for yourself because the experienced guys are, are, are going to hog the work, you know? Um, and it's kind of more luck, you know, right place, right time that you're going to, uh, to get that shot. And then when you do get that shot, if you're in the right place at the right time, um, if you perform well, then you'll get another shot and then you'll become one of those experienced guys eventually, you know? So, um, it's, it's really similar. It's that, that part of the industry hasn't changed and that part of the industry will probably never change, uh, just because it's such a small industry that we make a name for ourselves. And then that name goes, you know, further and further. And if you screw up, you know, I'm not going to say you're not going to get a second chance, because a lot of us have gotten second chances, you know, a lot of us have, you know, missed that crew boat. Uh, a lot of us have, you know, had incidents on the job site where, you know, something happened and we've gotten a second chance. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when you do get that first, that first shot, it's imperative that you work hard and you perform well. So, um, yeah, like I said, that, that's something that's never going to change. I mean, that's similar to what, what you experienced, right, Dave? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I do remember when we first started and and the, it was always said it was a young man's game, you know, and, uh, and uh, I mean, you were allowed, if you had a private pension in UK, you were allowed to, as a diver, to take your pension from 45 because they figured you were like a footballer who would, uh, you know, have such a short career. But I also remember us sending a cake into saturation for a guy for his 65th birthday. Shoo. <laughs> so. Wow. 65. Man. Yeah. 65. Yeah. Mm. I'm, I'm not sure how the, I'm, I think there might be divers that have still kept going to 70 or whatever. Yeah, there's, there's some out there. Uh, there's a couple that I know. Mm. 
but certainly the 45 thing uh, and, I, and I remember as the company one of the companies I think it was two W's having this seminar and they were concerned because the average age of the divers had crept up to 49 and they were saying we need to get younger divers in and all the 49 year old divers were saying you know fuck that and you know we still want, <laughs> we still got mortgages to pay, you know. We wasted all the first lot. <laughs> but there's but there's no getting around it. It is a young man's trade. I mean, there's there's so oh, few that sure, are yeah. over you know over fifty that are diving. Given there are some, but compared to you know the the divers in their thirties and you know late twenties. You know, that's kind of like the prime of your diving career right there, you know, because you're you're physically in your prime, you're experienced, and uh, you're going to get the most work out of those divers in that age range. I, I think what extended it for them was the changes in the regulations on dive times and stuff. Because, I mean, when, when we started, we were doing, you know, two-man bell runs, four people in SAT, round the clock. So, you know, you're doing like a 12-hour bell run coming back and then rotating again. It was just hard, you know. Uh, you know, after a few days of back-to-back -back diving like that, you, you are pretty knackered and you've got to be quite young and fit to do that. But then as they moved on, limiting bell runs to eight hours or I think it dropped to seven. And... Uh, then they brought in the shift system, so you dived at the same time every day, so you weren't like rotating around the clock. So it did make life a lot easier. Fun. And there were three man bell runs, so two guys out. So the heavy work was shared. It, it, it did get easier for sure, you know. It's all right. I've just paused in case you've got something else to ask. No, no, no. It's okay. I just, <laughs> <Sorry>. See, <laughs> I'm dealing with the COVID stuff, so like I'm blowing my darn, you know, nose, and I'm trying to clear. This is COVID episode number two. <laughs> so, uh, really, man, it's a terrible, terrible thing. You know, it's uh, just really sucks. Stuffy headed. You know, this was a different experience my second time than the first time. That's for sure. The first time was terrible, really? but the second time was just irritating. It's like, you know, it's like I'm allergy, you know, getting out uh, attacked by allergies for the past uh, week. Yeah. So it's more irritating and less frightening. Yeah, I don't know whether it's the same over there, but we've pretty much just ignored it now. It's like it's all over, but it's not. It's still out there, but life's just going on. Everybody's just doing their own thing. And, and but I must admit, it's not. It's not, uh, it doesn't seem to be as much of it about, I had it about a month ago, but it was quite a mild affair, so it wasn't too bad. Yeah, now it's kind of, kind of surging a little bit over here, but, uh, it's, uh, sorry, these guys are texting me right now. Uh, Johnny <laughs> yeah, and Freddie both have surging. to pee. If you guys have to pee, you guys can go. <laughs> <laughs> we could take a quick little okay, break. You don't need to. <laughs> yeah, you sure. don't need to text twenty messages about <laughs> having to get up and go pee. I could use a refill myself, not of pee, but of beer. Yeah, I'm just. Uh, 
Dave, you might, the Guinnesses. Uh. <laughs> yeah, you mind if we take a quick two minute while these guys go use the bathroom? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, you're, you're, all right. You're and charge. that'll provide us a good, <laughs> that'll provide us a good moment to uh, break for one of our sponsors. This is Bobby Delise of the New Orleans-based maritime law firm Delise and Hall. For over 40 years, Delise and Hall has represented professional divers working offshore in inland waters, or anywhere across the globe. This is what I know. All divers and their families should develop a relationship with an experienced diving attorney before an emergency occurs, so that if that emergency does occur, the diver's attorney is there to assist them in their time of need. Consider me and my partners, Alton Hall and Jeanette Delise, as your bailout bottle. Pray that you will never need to engage us but should an emergency occur, we're standing by to assist you and your family. Here's something else I know. Diving contractors, dive gear manufacturers, third parties, and their insurance companies have the money to have their attorneys on call. Why shouldn't the diver and his loved ones also have an attorney in their gear bag before they leave home? Want to learn how Delise and Hall will be there should you need us? Give us a call at 1-800-DIVER-55 or call me on my cell at 504-460-6200. That's 1-800-DIVER-55 and 504-460-6200. Visit us at our website, www.divelawyer.com or the Delise and Hall Facebook page. This is Bobby Delise signing off. We're Delise and Hall, the diver's attorneys. And remember, not all sharks swim in the sea. Thanks and dive safe. Did you catch the did you catch the uh, chapter when we where I wrote about traveling around California the first time? Yes, yes I did. Uh, that that was one of the the fun chapters that my wife enjoyed you know she really she really enjoyed your your uh your story there you know the the uh, love story that was involved too you did a good job uh maybe you should uh do one of those books like the notebook you know one of those romance movies books really yeah you, <laughs> you did a darn good job she loved it yeah i i, I... We had a great time. It was like because our first time overseas, you know, like it was just it was just brilliant. And uh, as I say, yeah, the culture the culture shock to uh, land in San Francisco and uh, you know in the uh, what was it eighties early eighties, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I'd never seen a man in a miniskirt before. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw a man in a wedding dress the other day. So. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> the fire department yeah. was talking with him, having a friendly chat. But yeah, no that 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 was definitely a cool part a uh, cool part of the book there that we both enjoyed. You know, uh, definitely enjoyed you talking about your uh, your personal life as well. You know, and. Uh, you know, especially in the early, the early chapters. You know, talking about how how you how you met your wife and all that. You know that 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 was fantastic. Yeah, because uh, there's not many of us divers still got the same one, is there? No, no. Me and you are one of the few. 
You know, and that's yeah. the two. I haven't. Well, there, Mine's well, there you the go. Same. I've got twenty, like almost twenty years in. You know. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I mean, how many years in you got, Johnny? Yeah. Not to, you know, compare oh, apples to apples. Not that. Not at all. That. That's but, what I was getting. At. And also, I've only been with one. So I'm just saying, one, give it time before you outfit, speak. So you know, let's give it time before you speak. You'll know if it's gonna last. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe not, dude. She might find a supermodel, last. you know, and, and dump you. No. <clears throat> never. <clears throat> oh my god. Uh uh. I'm too I'm too good. Oh yeah? You know? Good at what? Yeah. I'm a really good husband. I don't I don't I don't want to my own home, but I'm pretty pretty good husband. <laughs> I've I've got a little story. Maybe maybe you should maybe you should uh record it just in case it's any use to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're we're always recording, Dave. Oh, you're on yeah. all the time. Okay. Yeah. So we're all sat around in the mess room in on the DB15. You know, a bunch of divers and riggers and stewards and everything. Bad weather, or something. So everybody's sitting around, and somebody said, uh, "If I come back in another life, I want to be whatever. I don't know, a professional footballer or something." And they all started. And then one of the stewards said, I know what I want to come back as. He said, what he said, a diver's wife, he said, loads of money and no fucking bother, <laughs> nobody to bother you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's too funny. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things that, that kind of keeps us going, you know. It's a good relationship. And... uh you chronicling that relationship throughout your book is amazing. And Johnny, you are a good dad and good, good, good husband too. Definitely much better than I am. So, you are going to have many, many years of marriage. So Obviously. I was just giving you, giving you a little, little hard time there, just messing with you. <coughs> just messing with you. Cheers. Yeah, I, was, I um. As I say, I, I, I really remember the, the, the sort of how nice the people were to us that first trip, you know, because we we're two really naive Brits just wandering about in California and, and uh, everywhere we went, they're just like, people just took to us and uh, it was so friendly. And, I, and the barman, the barman in the, uh, in the hotel in, uh, in Mill Valley, who turned out to be a rock star. It's, uh, it's going like, you know, you're chatting to a barman, you just think you're talking to a barman, don't you? And he said, oh, yeah, when I was in London and when I was in, you know, Paris, and I was in... Uh, I said, oh, I said I, how, come you, how come you've travelled all those places? You know, it's like, you know, if you don't mind me asking. And he said... Oh, he said, I played in this little rock band, he said, we used to tour. I said, well, it wasn't that little. He said, oh, you might have heard of them. Jefferson Aeroplane. Fuck off. He was, yeah, honest, <laughs> he was the drummer out of Jefferson Aeroplane. Spencer Dryden. Man. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. He'd, yeah, he'd, he'd packed it in then. It was that. He'd, uh, he'd, he'd, he'd given it up and, uh, he, he just 
he said, oh, I, I couldn't do nothing, so I, I went and did a, a bartender's course and he was managing some local band or something like that. Lovely guy, you know, he took us all, wow. he took us all around San Francisco, showed us all the parts, took us to clubs, you know, music clubs and that. We were meeting all kinds of celebrities that we'd never heard of, so it was like a bit lost, really, but they were probably really famous. Yeah, that's the thing about California. You don't know who you're talking to a lot of times, you know. They might look all disheveled and everything, but he's a Fortune 500, you know, tech company guy or, a, you know, a rock star that's uh, yeah working in an airport. Yeah, it's, they don't they don't make it obvious. No, they, you know, they are, there is a bit of a tendency among Brits to, you know, to want to publicize how famous or rich they are, you know, but... I didn't. I didn't see that in uh, certainly not in California or anywhere. You know, well, part of it is the cost of living is uh, so high. Even if you made your million dollars, that only oh, you're a millionaire. <laughs> that that yeah, only gets yeah. you through a couple months of rent. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I can see, I can imagine that. Yeah. yeah. But no, that's uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a cost of living out here is crazy. That's why uh, as a diver, you know, you got to make a lot. So you maintain that that lifestyle, be able to have three IPAs before ten o'clock in the morning, like myself. You see. <laughs> so, so is it actually a bar that you've got there? It's like, can can we walk in there and take and get a beer? If you call my refrigerator the bar, yeah. Oh no, no, no the dive shack. No. It's not actually a bar then. Eh? That's... No, not yet. Yeah. That's yeah. a damn good idea. Not yet. That's a great idea. Yeah, that's a well, great uh, uh, idea. Though. The bottom dwellers dive shack in is like All right. We already have the name. Yeah. Yeah. Just turn yeah. it into a bar, you know. Yeah. A but load of our go to bar diving stuff on. Is the uh, pike in Long Beach. Yeah. So if you yep. ever come out here, uh we'll we'll take you to the pike in Long Beach. So that and that goes for any other guest that ever uh wants to hang out off the air. Uh, if you want to hang out off the air, then uh, we'll go to the Pike, have a couple pints, and uh, tell some dive stories. So hopefully you can make your second trip out. Yeah, I love at the some Pike. Part, at some third. point, Dave. We'll third. We, we, were there third four, we were there four years third. ago. No, four years uh, ago. Okay. Just missed yeah, it. Just be, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because we came down to Long Beach and got the ferry out to uh, Catalina. Oh, we there you go. Cat- mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there you go. With Next our trip, good then. Jack. We'll 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 take you around. Yeah, no, that'd be good. Yeah, because uh, you know, well, you know, we travel a lot, but but COVID just shut yeah. it down. I was just like, I really yeah. didn't want to get on an aeroplane with all that carry on. So. No, no, so we haven't had a. Yeah, I went down to uh, yeah the last time we we. We we flew into San Francisco and travelled down. Did covered the old the places we'd been, you know, in eighty one, you know, Big Sur and all that stuff, and and uh, down uh, down to San Diego. Then we hopped over the border and went down to Loreto and did some uh, sea kayaking down there and some fishing. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah that sounds like Mexico's a fun. I like. Them. Why does everybody yeah, kayak? I've never been I kayaking. Know. I like. It. No, you might like it. It's good. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I, 
it's um you can get around to a lot of places where you know where you can't get any any other way hmm. over here we've got all west coast of scotland and places like that quite wild you know yeah and uh, we can jump in a kayak and and go out and camp on the islands and like and like to cover a lot fun. of ground in a kayak pretty quickly oh yeah yeah well you can you can paddle like three knots you know so hmm. it's it's a bit it's it's quite slow, but can you put a motor in a kayak? Uh, well, that defeats the object. I'm really. sure it's, it's a boat, then, isn't it? <laughs> Somewhere you can put a sail on it. I've got a sail sometimes. Oh, that, nice! That there you go. Up. Yeah. So I can put a sail yeah. on my kayak, crack open a couple yeah. cold ones, and then then I can paddle uh-huh. to go even faster. Yeah. yeah. All right. But it, it was nice, down, you know, um, down in uh, on, in Baja. There, it's, it's uh, we, we did. There's some national parks there, some islands and that, and it's it, it, it's it's hot down there, isn't it? But, but but we went out there paddling, camping. You know, you've got uh, lots of wildlife. Uh, you know, um, whales and dolphins and good fishing and. So, yeah, it's fun. It doesn't rain very much down there, does it? It's no, not, not at so all. It's nice and... <laughs> I've never <laughs> been down to Baja where it rained. I've been down to Baja quite a bit. How about you, Johnny? Has it ever rained while you were down there? Not once. Seriously? In Baja? Yeah. I've never been to Mexico. No. Oh. I don't want to... Well. I have no desire to go to Mexico. Okay. Yeah. Well, I had a, I had yeah. a quick question. Did, did the uh, Mexican federales shake you down for any money at any point uh, in your travels down there? No. See, no, it's only Americans they do that to you guys. You bottom dollars listeners. Yeah. It's only us that <laughs> they shake down. <laughs> so what's the I deal with that? I, I, so if you're going down I to Baja on holiday, you just put on an Australian they lost accent. A war a long time ago. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> the Mexican American think... war from the eighteen hundreds. They're still a little bitter over yeah, that one. We have we have we have all their all their land. Yeah, just yeah well, better. that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I remember one of my uh, one of my buddies that I worked with over there. He, he was uh, Mexican American. You know, he's lived lived there a long time, but he's Mexican descent. Uh, he's engineer, and. Uh, the first time that the USA played Mexico in a football match, in a soccer match, as you call it, um, they, they decided to play in Houston, which was a <laughs> big mistake that. because, yeah, there was like just a sea of green one day. <laughs> it's like it was, it was like ninety-five uh, percent Mexicans in there. Yeah, so <laughs> it's like yeah. a Mexico home game. You know what was gross about that too. So there, there were reports, you know, alleged reports that a lot of the Mexican fans, all Mexican as well, you know. <laughs> Normally, when people have to have to say something like that, they're going <laughs> to say something really bad after. But I'm not going to say nothing really yeah, bad. I'm just, yeah, I'm just so stating facts here. I'm half. I'm just stating so facts. That's here. okay. Uh, the Mexican fans were throwing water balloons filled with urine at the U.S. national team, so that was a huge oh. like controversy and drama. At the time, which was that's typical. That sounds like Johnny's the one that's not very nice now. Thank you, Chris. And my beautiful wife just brought me some uh, (laughs) coffee as I was being semi 
whatever that was. Anyhow, uh, I sure do love coffee. <sighs> All right. So he comes in at like the best possible times, you know, like when I'm talking about her or, or when I'm saying something really bad, she'll open the door and walk in and it's too funny. It's like they have a knack for that. Like, honey, calm down. So yeah, water balloons full of urine. That was gross. You know, sometimes I'm like really mm. ashamed of uh, my heritage, you know, when I hear stories like that, but Hey, that's everybody's heritage. You know, sometimes they're, they're ashamed of things that they do. You know, so. I mean, if if it wasn't for Mexico, sure what would you eat in California? Right. Yeah. Everything. It's all yeah, Mexican food. It's, a, it's the best food, too. <laughs> it is, yeah. It is good. the best food. <laughs> well, Mexico food and Mexican California food are, is completely different. Yeah, true. Mexico yeah. food is, isn't as good as ours. We've got pretty damn good food in California. What would they eat without us? Yeah. (laughs) That's what it is. We invented the California burrito. better than they are. (laughs) Have you you had a California burrito? No. No. Oh, man, you're missing out, Dave. I got to mail you one. Yeah. It might be moldy by the time it gets here. I don't don't think it'd make it, do you? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it'd make it. This has turned into a... A food show now. Must be getting hungry. It's breakfast time over here. Is it dinner time there? It is, yeah. And I'm cooking dinner, so I'll get, uh, yeah. <laughs> Not she'll anymore. Be... Well, she gets angry when she's hungry. Yeah, they all do. <laughs> oh, that's Stacy for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. They turn into different people. Big time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I well, did the prep up front anyway. I'm ready, so. It's too funny. So we'll 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 let you get back to a dinner before we stick our foot in our mouths on every single subject known to man. Um, we'll go ahead. Yeah. Right. I've already had a uh, three IPs here, so this show can only go downhill, and I know, and I know my limit. So it's been great to have you on, Dave. Thank you for coming into the dive shack. Right. Thank Thanks, guys. Much. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's good. I'll. Uh, I'll see you for a cool one in Long Long Beach sometime. That'd be great. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. Make sure you like and follow on our social media pages on Instagram and Facebook. Please share this podcast with your friends or anyone interested in commercial diving. The only way that uh, we can make this successful is if we do get a lot of people that are listening. We get more listeners, we get more sponsors, and that means more free stuff for you guys. That's right. We are hooking up all of our diver brothers and sisters in the trade. And uh, if you keep sharing and liking, we're able to do that a lot more. Our Instagram is at BottomDwellersDS. Our Facebook is BottomDwellersDiveShack. And you can always like and follow me at LBDiver on both. The Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack is available on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Anchor. We also have it streaming on our website at thebottomdwellers.com. So keep listening, keep it safe, keep it salty. This is LB Diver, out. <laughs>